What do you call that noise? Welcome to What Do You Call That Noise, the XDC podcast. My name is Mark Fisher and I am the editor of the XDC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls and What Do You Call That Noise, an XDC discovery book, both of which are available at xdclimelight.com. But of course you know that already. But maybe you don't know that you could also lend support to this podcast if you like what we're doing um, at patreon.com. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher, you can get the opportunity to become either a pink thing, a humble daisy, or a knight in shining armor and uh, show your support to the show, just as Mike Smith did. Mike Smith is the very first person to give uh, a Patreon uh, support, and he is a humble daisy. So well done, Mike. Thank you very much for that, and uh, look forward to more people coming <laughs> our way very, very soon. Um, uh, we're, we're going to try and uh, do introduce a call and response today, uh, courtesy of, 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 of David, who, who is with us again today, who suggests that when anybody says, shake you donkey up, there should be an immediate reply, which is quite a packet. So should we try it? <laughs> shake you donkey up, everybody. <laughs> Why the packet? Really? We can work on that one, I think. <laughs> Mark Smith suggested, and also with you, which really doesn't quite take off, does it? <laughs> it doesn't really. Well, it, it did okay for Christianity, but maybe we need to move on from that. <laughs> Our acapella group is going nowhere. <laughs> that was the voice of Jordan Cooper, who is the man behind Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. And when we started, uh, what do you call that noise, the XTC podcast, Jordan was very, very quick to get in touch and say that he'd like to get in, <laughs> he'd like to be involved in this as well, because he likes doing podcasts. And yeah. uh, my re- immediate response to that was, well, the uh, there is a, 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 not only um, a philosophical connection between XTC and They Might Be Giants, but also a literal connection in the form of the song called XTC versus Adam Ant. So I think we're going to be circling around. I don't know whether XTC versus Adam Ant will be the beginning point or the end point of our session today, but uh, we're going to be talking about Adam and the Ants, we're going to be talking about XTC, and we're going to be talking about They Might Be Giants. go in many different directions but um i think maybe jordan if you could say something a little bit about your podcast to kick us off and sure we'll, we'll find out a bit about that what it's sure. uh, are you 18 months uh, old or something like that is that right yeah well first of all can you understand my accent i just want to make sure just about <laughs> yeah. um yeah so i have a podcast about they might be giants uh they're a band that i i, I personally think xdc fans would enjoy i'm a fan of both bands i think they're both in my top five um it's kind of a mix of an NPR-style documentary, infinitely long <laughs> documentary about the band, mixed with me and my friend joking around and having a casual conversation. So there'd be a casual conversation, and then a thing that we'll talk about that we'll mention casually, I'll spend days and days <laughs> researching and finding a clip of from whether interviews, live show, banter on stage, things that the They Might Be Giants lyrics references because they reference a lot of pop culture in their lyrics, like Sinatra movies and, you know, there's just... So I'm always getting the clips and then I weave it into kind of this Frankenstein of a show. And uh, 
we are not up to XTC versus Adamant yet in the show because we work, we go at a snail's pace. We're only three albums in, and I've been doing the show for almost maybe about a year and a half now. But uh, we'll get there soon, and I think this is a, a good, this is a good, you know, starter for that. And I might put clips of this show in the <laughs> in the future episode of my show, and that'll be a weird, you know, disturbing cross like you know mating thing of both podcasts, if that's okay. Yeah, there did used to be a band called Pop Will Eat Itself, so pod- podcasts will eat yeah, themselves. Exactly. We'll mm-hmm. regurgitate. Um, I'll bring David David White in because, David, you're a self-confessed, um, you're, you're not even a floody, which is the people who only listen to Flood by They Might Be Giants. You're a complete newbie about They, they Might Be Giants. All of that album, apart from the um, uh, Birdhouse in Your Soul, is, is new to me. So uh, <laughs> up until 48 hours ago, I knew very little about They Might Be Giants. Um, the thing that had... Uh, impressed me before was the fact that they are a duo, but they have uh, they have quite a full sound. Mm. I presume they just multi-track and multi-track, um, or are they just uh, uh, do they act as a band? I've seen them performing as a you know five six piece. yeah. But recording wise, is it just the two of them? Yeah, uh, for the first four albums, it is just the two of them, and the occasional little guest, like one song has a drummer on it out of all those four <laughs> albums. Right. Um, and then in their fifth album, they got a band and recorded the album almost live because they were like, we're really going to be a band now. And then since that album, it's been a mix of like, let's have the spirit of the duo where we can do anything we want and no restrictions, but let's get our band in on it and they could contribute and so now it's kind of a blend and i actually think it took them like a decade to understand that blend like they're they had a a few years of the albums feeling kind of confused to me and now they've kind of been on this confident streak of like we know how to do this now would that have been the john henry album yes (laughs) yes it would that was i i noticed how different that was Mm -hmm. and was wondering you know why that was so different in its flavor um, yeah, I think that's maybe hit the nail on the head. That's the, why the change of direction. I do remember yeah. getting brilliant reviews. Maybe not in this country. It didn't. Mm. I think because they had, <laughs> you know, diverged a fair way from from their original path. Uh, but it's, it's mm-hmm. easily the one I enjoyed most as I was working my way through them chronologically. Yeah, John Henry's my favorite album. Uh, I've yet to totally reveal that on my show, but we did inter- we interviewed the drummer Brian Doherty, who also plays on XTC versus Animan, and who also played on Cherry in Your Tree. And uh, so we interviewed Brian Doherty. It was an eight-hour interview that I edited into two three-hour episodes, and we really he really explained why John Henry feels different, and it really is because they were kind of stuck in this cottage kind of like how a lot of xtc productions sound in a way they're kind of stuck in this remote location they're getting to know each other they're rehearsing obsessed they never rehearsed songs much <laughs> like before that album they're rehearsing and so what you're hearing is really like a band which is it gives the album like an emotional quality that is usually absent <laughs> from they might be giants music because there's like there's actually like you can only call it like soul like the album has like a soul to it Absolutely. which i find different for them and which is why it kind of like I like I listen to that album like on the last day of school I listen to that album you know when something sad happened in my life I don't really do that for their other albums so yeah it, it does have that difference uh and and this XTC versus Adam Man is on the album that came after that which I kind of consider like, like kind of a confusing album 
<laughs> but I can get more into that a little later. It's interesting that you've 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 put a, your finger, Jordan, on a thing that is relevant to this conversation because the song XTC versus Adamant is about, I think, the head the head versus the heart. It's about yeah. It's about the instinctive. Uh, however you would describe it, that the, the song describes that the sound of Adam, Adam and the Ants was very, um, uh, I don't know, muscular, lively, vis- vis- visceral. Maybe that's a better word for it. Uh, yeah. Whereas danceable wants you to wants you to move your butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and <laughs> and the, the 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 phrase that has been used in, to, in towards XDC, and I think probably they might be giants as well, mm-hmm. is, is of, often clever, clever. It's like <laughs> terrible, uh, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you listen yeah. to that noise? And yeah. and um, uh, and and I suppose you could also say that XDC versus Adam Ant, Adam Ant in itself as a song is quite heady, terrible, <laughs> annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a lot. I mean, I, I, if if you're not done with the introductions and stuff, I, I have a, I have a few major points I want to get to about that song and how it relates to everything. But I, I let you can cue okay, me well, when to do yeah. that. We'll, well, we'll move on to that, and maybe we can go. On, we, maybe we'll circle very, uh, very in a very broad sort of way. I'm doing a, a, a if anybody was watching on Zoom, you'd be able to see me doing a helicopter sign at the moment. <laughs> I'm going to we're going to be zooming round up on helicopter um, around the subject, and we will start with Adamant. And why not start with what Andy Partridge thinks of Adam, Adamant? Here's what Andy said to me earlier this week. What do you call that noise? And what about Adamant, actually? I mean, he, he falls into the same category, I suppose. Do, well, do... I've got to go careful because I, I, know, um, I know Chris Hughes very well. Uh, he was Merrick, one of the two drummers, Chris Merrick Hughes. Um, and uh, I, I think Adam and the Ant were... Adam and the, Adam and the Ant, that's the... <laughs> The busk, busking duo, um, Adam and the Ants were uh, were not revolutionary. It was it was an interesting thing to stick together. The Burundi drumming style, the <laughs> Burundi drumming, which I always loved. Uh, a friend of mine had a years uh, years ago in the um, early seventies. He had a, a John Peel album where. It was collection a collection of um, sort of field recordings of unusual music from around the world, uh, like sort of Siamese princesses drumming on a stream, you know, strum- drumming on this running water. And one of the tracks was the uh, the Burundi miners, uh, who I think it said in the sleeve notes, or did I imagine this? They were all wearing Wellington boots with bottle tops stapled to the Wellington boots so that every time they stomped on these pallets they were dancing on, these boots gave a loud boom and a jingle ring with all the all the bottle caps uh, stapled to their Wellingtons. Oh, that sounds fantastic, doesn't it? That's fantastic. And they were all dancing to this kind of... <laughs> the Burundi thing, you know? So I thought that was um, very fiercely, uh, very fiercely inventive. And of course, you build yourselves as XTC, or as even Helium Kids, as playing ant music, didn't you? Before, before ant. Music. Yeah, we we were every time we'd get a gig in London, we'd leave stickers everywhere or flyers saying, um, "Probably more ant, probably more ant music than human." <laughs> um, so, and that was definitely pre-Adam and the Ants, but uh, that was one of the reasons that John Peel gave us a session 
uh, he got a cassette and he was much taken with the flyer that we included with it. Um, and it, it had a, it was like a fake comic cover, an American comic, because I was heavily into American comics at the time, of this sort of rotting robot, zombie robot, kissing this 1950s starlet. And it's uh, electricity can be fun. And, and he's sort of buzzing and, you know, and uh, it says down the side, insects, iron, lust and rays. <laughs> uh, and these phrases made John Peel want to come and see the gig because we had a gig upstairs at Ronnie Scott's club. And he turned up and offered us a session, even though we were unsigned. And the very fact that he offered us the session and we were on uh, the radio on the BBC meant that suddenly record companies were clamoring to sign us. So uh, it was the it was the goofy nature of the words on the flyer, and him turning up and you know that that's what got us a record deal that started us going. It's amazing, isn't it? And yet, if you'd ever planned your career like that, it would. You would yeah, it would never just never happen if you tried to plan it that way. What do you call that noise? So, uh, Mark, that was Andy Partridge talking about adamant. Could you tell us a little bit about, uh, this is Mark Reed that we're talking to now. Uh, Mark, could you tell us a little bit about adamant from your own uh, memory and presumably school days when, when Adam and the Ants were, were making it big in the, in the UK charts? Well, yeah, I mean, I actually um, was aware of Adam and the Ants when in their first incarnation. Um, as a callow youth, I used to buy all the music papers and read them and adamant featured heavily in that, but that was the early days. Um, I mean, it's similar to XTC in that um, he was labelled up in the punk movement and was around that time, but wasn't really part of punk. They were kind of on the extreme. They weren't quite punk, but that was the wagon that they hitched the horses to that, that took them along. Which makes them more punk, doesn't it? Well, yeah, there's a fact that... Because um, they don't fit in. I actually knew this fact, so I apologise for being a complete geek, that the Sex Pistols' very first gig was supporting a band called Bazooka's Joe, whose lead singer was Adamant, before Adam and the Ants. So he was there. So he was there, and he was he actually predated punk in a way. And Adam and the Ants went on to make Dirk, Dirk Wears White Socks, I think it was called. And um, that was seen as being a bit too extreme, because it's very about kinky sex and S&M, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas punk was about politics and power and nihilism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but... Uh, around that time, they were being actually managed by Jordan, who was part of the Sex Pistols entourage at the time. So, and I, I ha I'm not reading this from Wikipedia, I just do know these sort of things for some reason, they lodge in my head. This is why we brought you on. <laughs> and, um, so basically, whilst he was very much of that time, he wasn't part of the scene, even though he should have been, because he had all these connections to it. And then famously, at least in my universe, um, Malcolm McLaren himself took over managing the band, and of course did the thing which is actually referenced in the It Might Be Giants song, of sacking Adamant's, keeping the band and turning into Bow Wow Wow, pulling in Annabella Lewin, who was the singer at the time who he apparently met in a laundrette. And they went off and did a very Malcolm McLaren type thing of recording My Cassette Pet and various slightly smutty songs sung by a teenage girl sort of thing, as you can imagine, Malcolm McLaren. Which Adamant went away to think and then came back with, um, well, I was, I was trying to think of a phrase for it. It was kind of like pantomime pop. You know, he came back with all these personas. And the key thing, which Andy Partridge mentions, was the fact you had two drummers and you had this fantastic African Burundi rhythm going, which really drove the first singles. 
and from there he kind of made Ant Music, Dog Eat Dog, etc. And then he came, and then he had huge success, became a pinup. But you know, even then wasn't really part of the um, pop world. You know, he didn't fit in there fully either. Um, and so he went on to become the dandy hire and stand and deliver. Um, I remember they did a tour where the backdrop was a big pirate ship. So, you know, him and Marco Peroni. And they had enormous success and it lasted for ages, you know. And then he went off to America to become an actor and um, didn't have such great... We had some success there, to be fair to him. But um, he kind of disappeared for a while. But thankfully, he had a few problems. But he's back from what I see, um, recording and playing gigs and everything and seems to be having a good time. So, But basically... For me, the composer of XTC, as I say, is that he was around at the time of punk. He was very involved with the people in punk, but you wouldn't describe him as being, I wouldn't anyway, uh, in a punk artist, which I think could be applied to XTC. They were around at the time. They were dragged along by that, but they were matching more than punk. And I think that was just a launching pad for them. And what you're reminding me of is something that is true of British music in the 1970s. I'm not too sure about American music in the 1970s, but it was possible to have what now sounds like very, very eccentric music that that was hugely, hugely popular. You know, there was a lot of eccentric yeah. hits throughout the 1970s in the pre-punk period as well. And you kind of think, now, how, how would they ever get away with that? I think. In, I mean, he was front page period. news, and this won't mean much to Jordan, but for those of a certain age like Mark and David, the fact that he had Diana Dawes appeared in one of his videos was front page of all the papers. You know, that was a major thing. It was like, how, I don't know, um, or... Um, Nicole Kidman appearing in your video. It was like the one of the leading British actresses at the time. And but also it was the fact that he crossed that bridge where he he, he incorporated the what's the less wanky word for zeitgeist? Uh, you know, the um, <laughs> go for zeitgeist. Go, go for zeitgeist, you know, into his videos. So but yet at the same time kept a bit of a distance. You know, he never fully engaged with anything. Even at the height of his fame, of his success there wasn't really a scene formed around him. He didn't get loads of bands who were Adam and the Ants like. You know, he was very unique. And I think his guiding light was to keep moving. So as soon as one persona um, had success, he immediately got rid of it and moved on to the next one. So I saw somewhere that it was mentioned as a new romantic, which I think was very wide of the mark. You know, absolutely not by any means. I'm just thinking he was, he was sort of ahead of the new romantics, wasn't he? But, yeah, absolutely. You know, he looks new romantic, but just ahead of the curve, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking that by coincidence for this conversation, the one time that I've I saw Adamant and one time I saw They Might Be Giants was at the same festival at Latitude about five or six years ago. Um, and Adamant was fantastic. I mean, he's I don't know what age he is now, but he turned up in his sort of full military regalia, you know, that sort of the, the, the traditional British uh, red uh, whatever it is, twill, which uh, as as the sort of gig went on and it got hotter and hotter, he, he sort of started taking more and more layers <laughs> off, eventually to reveal uh, a period Adam and the Ants t-shirt that was on underneath, you know, ah. where it had been, whether he's been sitting around since 1978, <laughs> I don't know, which of course he then ripped. <laughs> and wow. it was, you know, there was still a tremendous um, energy. And they might with Giants was good as well, but they didn't do that. <laughs> well, they're, they're uptight. They wouldn't, they would never do something like that. But that's why I connect with them so much. D David, do you have anything to throw in about Adam and the Ants? Do they mean anything to you? Apart from uh, when we're talking about Adam, his, uh, his name's Stuart Goddard. Is that, is that right, Mark? It is indeed, yeah. He started life as a graphic designer or he's started his career as a graphic designer. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, there's, there is, I don't know, there's hope for him. <laughs> uh, but no, I was just going to say that wasn't it amazing when you think of the uh, bands in that 1978-79 explosion that were on the so-called punk ticket um very few of them really were punk bands at all 
you know, we, uh, you and I, Mark, saw, uh, I, in fact, this was the last time I was at a social engagement, it was a, lot, uh, a month ago. Uh, Mark, you and I saw Elvis Costello, punk ticket, but absolutely not a, a punk, XTC, the same. And I was also thinking of um, the the electronic crowd, such as uh, Gary Newman. He, again, he was a punk guitarist, uh, but um, fell almost by accident on on the sound of synths. He decided this was the way forward. It reminds me of a story when I was a uh, sorry when I was a boy. I was living at home with my parents around 77, 78, and I would order from mail order various albums, and everyone that came, my, my dad would go, is that punk rock? I'd go, no, no, it's the Buzzcocks, they're not punk rock. <laughs> and he'd go, it's next another one would come on, is that, is that punk rock? No, it's Tom Robinson Band, that's not punk rock. Yeah. Right, okay. And then, of course, the famous day came, that never mind the bollocks, is that punk rock? Oh, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Sorry, can't get out of that one. <laughs> Very few punk bands were actually punk bands, if you see <laughs> Yeah, especially because I was watching a, a sort of compilation programme of, of it, was, it was a compilation of the first time a lot of bands from the late 70s had appeared on television. So it was like their, their, their TV debuts. And it was probably the people that we're talking about. It was Ian Jury and the Blockheads. It was... Uh, uh, um, yeah, I'm sure it was Costello was there. I can't remember whether XTC were there, but but it was it was that sort of ilk of bands. Um, and what was really noticeable was given the the, the sort of myth of of uh, there are three play these three chords and you've got a band sort of thing was the the musicianship behind them. You know, certainly if you think about the, about the Blockheads, it was just they were phenomenal musicians. And uh, and I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to make a kind of um, you, you, uh, at a point that that you have to be a, a, an incredible musician to to make fantastic music, but the there, I think there is a bit of a myth about um, who who was making the most interesting music in those well, in those there's days. There's a story that um, Trevor Horn was recording Two Tribes, but I think it goes to Hollywood, and it was he was a perfectionist to this day. He maintains he's never got the mix right, and I think it was taking point an exaggeration about eighteen months to, rec- to record this one song. And at one point he said to the band, look, get out, you rubbish, go and clear off. And he got the blockheads in en masse to record two tribes. Um, that was what he considered, you know, he thought they were the very best players. I'd love to hear that, you know, the blockheads doing two tribes for Frank Coast of Hollywood would be a fantastic listen. Yeah. But that's just lost in the that was never released. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it shows, as you say, that, you know, these bands that we were saying, oh, we enjoy the blockheads, they're a punk band. Actually, they've been around for ages and they were like really, you know, the best musicians you could get. But it wasn't about the how many notes you can play. It was um, that you played the right ones, you know. And not necessarily in the right order. I was thinking of exactly the same thing. <laughs> Punk gave untutored bands permission to make music. And, well, or, or, to put a finer point on it, it, it gave them sales of records. Um, but Slits is probably a good example of completely untutored musicians making, making a good, good old noise. Uh, and quite an interesting noise, possibly because they were untutored, um, on the back of the punk you know, permission, as it were, to, to play that kind of music, which there, which there wasn't before. And it also opened up the venues, you know, because the venues before then, it was record companies had to get you a slot and it was all backhanders and everything. And suddenly there were these, they found out that they could sell more drink, you know, if they let a bunch of scruffy punk teenagers in on a Friday night instead of a bunch of musos. Um, and so all these venues opened up and you found, and these bands suddenly thought, well, you know, instead of waiting six months for, for a gig at the Hope and Anchor, we can just say we're punk and get on the club that appears every two weeks at uh, wherever. And Jordan, I'm just thinking, when I was looking yeah. at um, the lyrics, I just sort of Googled, oh, I'll just double check the lyrics for, for XTC versus Adamant. <laughs> yeah, I did that too. <laughs> well, I ended up on a website where, you know, it would have been 
presumably given, you know, written, transcribed by a, by a fan. Uh, and there was little notes in the corner, and the note said, "Oh, um, uh, I know who XTC were. They were they were a nineteen eighties pop band or something." I said, "I really don't know anything about Adamant. If anybody could help me, please, <laughs> please add." So, uh, and yeah. uh, Jordan, I think you're a little bit younger than, or maybe many years younger than Mark and David and I. And I wonder <laughs> whether you. this is sort of his, it, like this is ancient history for you to to be even talking about early XTC and and, and Adamant hmm. in a different country as well. Um, I can give a little background for me and XTC. I got into them around around 95, 95, 96. So I was into them when they were still doing things. <laughs> and I remember, vividly remember getting Apple Venus Volume 1. I met Andy and Colin at Tower Records in New York City. They did a signing for Apple Venus. It was, I posted about that to the various Facebook groups uh, here and there. Um, but it was really funny. And so I'll say it just because it's entertaining, but Andy put for the, we posed for the photo and he put his fingers in my ears and he said, nice holes. <laughs> and, uh, and Colin put a pen, his, uh, marker in my ear and it was amazing. It was kind of mind blowing. But, uh, so yeah, I, you know, the early, uh, XTC stuff is, it is like history for me, but so is they might be giants. I got into they might be giants around the same time around 94, um, David, did you? I I gave you a little bit of homework, and I don't know whether you didn't know what I was talking about or whether you took it seriously. But but I was listening to the the fantastic podcast by Soda Jerker, um, who uh, are two very intelligent uh, fans of pop music who who do a whole series of interviews with with leading names, and 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 they have recently released a podcast with Katie Tunstall. I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about that and whether it uh, whether you responded to it, David. Um... Yeah, I think the 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 takeaway from that, you know, she's a very entertaining um, uh, singer and guitarist, and uh, some good songs, and she's got a good earthy vibe about her. Uh, Katie, she's from uh, across the water in Fife. She's a good St Andrews girl. Good St Andrews girl. I'm from St Andrews as well, so she's one uh, of us. Uh, yeah, she she describes a, a point where uh, having seen Patty Smith, uh, that was uh, a, a game changer for her in terms of her career ambitions, and uh, she realised that, that was. What she wanted to do, and that was uh, she put that into her uh, hit song. Uh, Suddenly, I see the song is entirely about the Robert Maplethorpe photograph of Patti Smith on the cover of her Horses record, and I think the idea of that picture has stayed with me a lot through the years because the thing I really like about it is that she's not trying. It's very, very easy. She's just being, and it's almost challenging in its lack of effort. It's going, well, who are you? This is who I am. And I'd seen the album cover before, but that night I was just looking at it and going, wow, I really would love to be in a place where I'm not trying anymore because I'd just been trying, 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 trying. And um, it's not a great place to be trying. It's a commendable place to be. But from a creative point of view, you're much better off just being and doing rather than grasping, grasping, grasping. And a lot of the time when I was trying to get somewhere as an artist, the trying didn't actually work, you know? I'd try and get the A&R people up to Edinburgh, I'd try and put on a gig and try and get people in, and it often didn't work. And actually, when things did work, it was just because I was really, really enjoying playing. And the reason it, 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 it struck me was the, uh, the, the, the question of instinct and in, uh, intellect and emotional mm. heart, which is what, what we, as we circle around XTC versus 
Adamant yeah. content versus form. Um, it seemed to me that that I, I might have been reading a little bit in, into what Katie Tunstall she was was saying, but she was saying uh, once she felt she just allowed herself not to try. Actually, that's what she was doing. But she's saying when I when I stopped trying and just sort of followed her instinct and and you know her instinct happened to be sort of gutsy rock and roll. But uh, when she just did that, then all the good things started to happen to her. Whereas when she was trying to get people to see her gigs, trying to get agents, all the rest of it, it was it was much harder. And what she admired what she admired about Patti Smith was uh, that, that that certainly that appearance of I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to do this and you know follow me. And it seems to me that that contrary to expectations, actually, in some cases, that with, with XCC, both with Andy Partridge and with Colin Moulding, that they, they're not intellectual songwriters. They follow their, you know, they do, do, they do it dazzlingly intellectual things, but they do it from, from a place of, of, of um, um, instinct. I'm not going to use the word emotion necessarily, but instinct. And so they, the reason they end up in such interesting corners, the reason you end up with Bungalow from, from Colin or the man who sailed around his soul with, for, for, from Andy is because they're just thinking, oh, I wonder what's over there. I'm just going to go there. And in, in a way, they're um, guileless, perhaps that's the right word, that they're, they're not, it's like there's no protective layer there. They'll, they'll just think, oh, that looks interesting. They're not trying to impress. Unafraid to, uh, to follow their intuition. Is, is, I mean, Paul McCartney's been um, described as such. Mm. Uh, in in that um, Howard Goodall in his uh, that fantastic program about uh, Sergeant Pepper was saying that uh, um, Paul McCartney very much followed his intuition in uh, in exploring the keyboard um, and trying new things out. And of course, we we know uh, how much that applies to uh, Andy Partridge with the guitar, just a very exploratory guitarist, um, but quite happy to land on things by accident. My relationship with um, the Mountain Giants was I'd always heard the albums and enjoyed them. But kind of like Tom Waits, you'd listen to it, go, oh, that, I really like that. And then there was never a time when I thought, I must listen to some Tom Waits, so I must go and listen to They Might Be Giants. Yeah, yeah. You really enjoyed it, but and I'm not going to be as simplistic as to say it was the emotional versus the head, whatever. That, that's too simplistic. But I think the one thing that they have in common with XTC to a degree is, and it's a word that some people might object to, but pastiche. You know, it's that they do try to. Uh, it's probably more noticeable than They Might Be Giants. I mean, because sometimes listening to the albums can be a bit disjointed because each track can be very different to the one before. And at times, um, and this may be going too far, I was reminded of was like of Gilbert, Gilbert, not Gilbert O'Sullivan, Gilbert and Sullivan, you know, the, the <laughs> operetta folk, the, the way they built the songs around the melodies and the lyrics. And it was seemed to, some of them seemed to be that way rather than the music relating to the uh, lyrics themselves. But XTC obviously had their moments in pastiche, but then it was at a more instinctive way they would kind of let their influences guide them to a certain area whereas and i could be totally wrong jordan they might be giants seem to be a bit more um obviously trying to do it there's a bit of a conscious effort there to do something in a certain style um i i have so many footnotes for what you just said but i'll <laughs> i'll say a few things i'll try to be quick so what I've discovered in doing my podcast and, and talking about that exact topic a lot with my co-host, Dave, um, we've really f discovered that it seems like, so They Might Be Giants is a duo, it's two songwriters. One of them is the one who really does that, the one who wrote XTC vs. Animat. He's the one where every song is a genre pastiche. And this was confirmed to me by one of their producers who I talked to about this. So he's just like, oh yeah, all the songs are genre pastiches. The other one... They're just so there's that's John Flansburg. John Linnell, 
his songs are just John Linnell songs. <laughs> and like once in a while he'll do a genre pastiche, but if you really look at the you know, the overwhelming evidence, it's like John Linnell just writes songs. I think John Flansburg is more of a recording guy. And I think he's more interested in what sounds can we do on this song? How could we, like, oh, I'm going to write a country song. I'm going to write this kind of song. So it is true, but I, I'd say it's only true for about half of their output. The other thing I want to say is that, so, you know, Ween, there's, a, there's bands like Ween. Yep. I find when Ween do a genre, it sounds like the genre. When they might be giants do a genre, it sounds like they might be giants Absolutely, yeah. doing a genre. And I think that's special. I think that's what's great about them. I don't know if they can pretend to be another genre for real if they even tried. Because their stuff, even when they do like a metal song or like a, they have a lot of different, oh my God, jazzy stuff. They have a song that sounds like it's from like, you know, an old jazz record from like the 30s, you know, called Reprehensible. It still sounds like they might be giants. Did it like it's it's not fooling anybody. Whereas Ween blow kind of blows my mind because when they do something like that, I'm like, wow, this really sounds like it's a jazz record from the '30s. It's funny you mention so, that because at times yeah. they also remind me of um, the Bonzo Dog Band, who were another band that kind of took the influence back from those days. And mm. you know that they're more known for doing comedy records, but actually they made a lot of really great records, and they mm -hmm. seem to enjoy in the same way that I think Ecstasy and They Might Be Giants do. The mm -hmm. challenge, the, the the chance to do something in a different style and see what they mm -hmm. can give to it rather than just doing it as a straight, you know. One, yeah, two, three, four. well, to even just emphasize how obsessive They Might Be Giants are about that, they will leave out incredible songs on their albums because it kind of sounds like another song already on the album. So they don't even like having two some barely similar kinds of song. They want the album to be like every track is a different, fully different tempo, feel, everything, because they they've... We're, we do a lot of episodes about these like rejected songs and, and I've looked up interviews with them and they'd be like, oh yeah, that was just, we didn't need another mid-tempo piano song on the album. And it's like, there are, there are bands where every song is the same thing. Uh, XTC are not one of those bands, but even XTC, like there is a uniformity to their albums, you know, like yeah. let's say something like Black Sea, like it sounds like a band in a, in a studio playing a, a set, yeah. whereas They Might Be Giants sounds like you're putting in a different CD for every song or whatever, tape, record, whatever, whatever is your, you know, So, so you seem to be saying that They Might Be Giants, Giants have got two key songwriters both of whom complement each other, but write in a slightly different style. Does that remind anyone of anything? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and actually, the other thing that Mark just drew my attention to is something that we haven't, that, that maybe comes somewhere in between the head and the heart, which is humour. And uh, yeah. <laughs> sometimes maybe to their detriment, but um, yeah. <laughs> because they might be giants can be considered. A, I presume the reason that Jordan's laughing is because they because they uh, you know can be considered wrongly. I think as, as a novelty band, but yeah, the, it's the, where, that, where that's coming from is 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 a sense of playfulness, uh, joviality, or whatever. And, and humor is certainly very strong in XTC's certainly <laughs> both in their off stage and on yeah. their, and on their recorded um, personas. Yeah, wow. Well, the humor topic, half of my podcast is me on the defensive <laughs> being like, they're so funny, but they're not that funny. And that's kind of <laughs> like what they're, they might be giants. Like they'll, they have, we actually said something in an episode where like, they want, like XDC versus Adam Ant is a funny song. Like it's funny. It's a absurd, you know, it's like making it as if these two mythical gods are warring throughout history, but it's these two bands that people don't think much about. It's kind of the the joke, I think, but I don't mean you, but, you know, normal people don't think much about. And so 
it's a funny song, but it's not funny in the, it's not like ha ha funny. It's not funny like, and here's the punchline kind of funny. And, and they might be giants. They, they have a lot of songs that are clearly intended to be funny or the, the, the spark of the idea is comedic, but they hate when people laugh. <laughs> like they've said, they hate when the audience laughs. And I kind of relate. I've, in my own, I've had shows with bands in the past where I'm doing a really sad song and people are laughing. And it's, you know, because like similar to XTC and, you know, I put in some wit into the lyrics. Like I'm a big fan of the Smiths and Morrissey too. Like I like witty lyrics that uh, surprise you. But for me, it doesn't exactly detract from the emotional, like, oh, he's being witty while talking about wanting to kill himself. Like that's, that's to me is what life is like. Like I've had the most saddest slash funniest conversations with friends about dark subjects. Uh, and so that's what I think both those bands, the XCC and They Might Be Giants are like. Uh, I think They Might Be Giants, the humor is a little more, um, I don't want to say pretentious, but a little more artsy and uh, performance art, absurd kind of feel, whereas Andy Partridge's humor especially is a little more, what's a good word, like playful in a kind of cheeky way. Like he'll make a little innuendo and it'll be like kind of funny. Uh, stuff like that, whereas They Might Be Giants are more like um, they'll reference an old movie from the, the 50s that you've never thought about, but they're referencing it in a way that twists it to be some dark, <laughs> like like Hope That I Get Old Before I Die is a song about hanging your, being, you know, hanging yourself, and it's a riff on the Who song, <laughs> and it's like that's the joke, is that, well, what if there that Who song was about aging and wanting, like, wouldn't it be so punk to want to get old instead of dying. Like, so they're weird jokes. They're jokes that are hard to explain. And they're jokes that I'm not sure you can even ruin when you explain them because they're kind of enigmatic enough that they, they're just outside grasps is what I'm trying. They're just outside. Like you're, you can't quite hold them in your hand. And I'd say my least favorite, they might songs are the ones where you can be like, Oh, that's the joke. I kind of get it. You know, I, I like the more, you know, when this applies to a lot of their earlier stuff, but I like the ones that are a little more, confusing and disarming and uh, unfathomable, but still funny. Uh, That's my, (laughs) that's a little bit about the humor in their bands. I might be about to expose uh, my ignorance in front of you all, but I came across a thing today about the um, inspiration for XTC versus Adam the Ants. Did you all see this? Yeah. About the fact that Uh, there were just... I've logged countless interviews and I have, I have him talking about that song quite a bit, but it might be, you might have found something different than I me. don't know if I doubt it. I was just curious because it, they said they just they'd contributed a track to an XTC tribute album. Yeah, 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 that's right. Do you know Yeah, so They Might Be Giants did a cover of 25 O'Clock, uh, which is interesting because I actually have a, a clip of them on the radio years before that where a caller requests that they perform 25 O'Clock and they're like, oh no, we would never do that. The XTC songs are too hard. So it's kind of a weirdly ironic thing that then that's what they did a few years later. So They Might Be Giants did uh, 25 O'Clock. I actually want to ask you guys what you think of their cover if you know it offhand. Um, but while recording 25 O'Clock, they wanted some psychedelic nonsense in it, similar to the Dukes. And so he's like, let's put a backwards, Flansburg's like, let's put a backwards message in. And he couldn't think of what to be saying in the message. So he just listed off a bunch of bands and he list, he said Adam Ant and a few other bands and that's what's in there. And then that, then that got, apparently that got him thinking about like XTC and Adam Ant as two like opposing forces 
So yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. But what, what do you do? You guys like their twenty-five o'clock cover? And you can be honest. <laughs> I, I I don't know, but I have something to say about that. Okay. Thing, and that yeah. is that um, you, uh, we're talking about the Dukes, of course, not the yeah. the XTC, yeah, but you know, um, <clears throat> and that the, the Dukes, I would say, come from a, a rather similar. There's certainly plenty of crossover there because mm. they are, to some extent, parody. Yeah, that's right. And they are also, uh, there's a, a strong vein of, of whimsy there. But mm-hmm. I think the American whimsy that we're talking about, and that could be Tom Lehrer, <laughs> it could be Sparks, um, which I think, and Alan Sherman, you know, that I think really feed into that uh, they might be giants. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe from a different route from the 1960s British whimsy, such as the Bonzos um, and uh, and obviously uh, Dukes of Stratosphere being, oh, uh, uh, what do they call it, Chiku Park, with small faces, that kind of thing, being rooted in a very British kind of mm-hmm. whimsy. It's maybe the same stuff, but it's very much from a different route, I think. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot American, and especially, I think even more, if you want to narrow it in more, New York. <laughs> like, for me, they might be giants or a very specific New York in the 80s kind of, dirty <laughs> absurd kind of humor and it's partly why me and my friend like connect to them so much in a way even though like i said even we don't understand a lot of the jokes but there is yeah it's definitely there's you know it's almost like how you watch like a, a david lynch movie and there's a lot of humor about hollywood in it because like that's where he's like obsessed with and so it's like they might be giants it's new york it's brooklyn especially if you want to narrow it even more <laughs> williamsburg and brooklyn where they lived in the 80s there's like a kind of dark comedy to it. There's like homeless people, but then they'll be funny and they'll come up to you and do weird shit and you laugh about it, but it's sad too. Like, you know, there's just that weird blend of things going on. And British humor, you know, all I know is what I know. I've never been there. I've never, you know, but I know from being huge fans of a lot of filmmakers and TV shows and music from that time, there's, you know, it's like a, it feels like wit is the good word, whereas with Brooklyn, it's it's more like, I don't know, guff. I don't know, like some like different kind of word to describe what the jokes are. I don't know. And talking heads, maybe. Mm, yeah, yeah. Feed into that. and uh... Actually, yeah, to, to tie it back to Patti Smith, like I just I wanted to throw in that this one quote is that Patti Smith once, it's speaking of heart versus head. Patti Smith, I read a thing where she was saying how much she doesn't like David Byrne because she's, and this is from like a quote from like the late 70s about CBGBs and stuff. But she was like, oh, you can tell everything he does is so rehearsed. And it's like, that's right on topic here because it's yeah, like, it really maybe is. it is. Is that bad? I don't know. Does that make them, I think it's so interesting to me, like the idea of, you know, David Byrne intellectualized all the weird stuff he did on stage. But like, and Patti Smith didn't. And I guess it's like, does that mean you can't like one more than the other? I don't know. I really don't know. And and it, it seems to me kind of unsurprising, but I'm making a big assumption here. It seems to me unsurprising that they might be giants themselves, the Johns should be XTC fans. But I'm assuming that they are XTC fans because they've done a cover of 25 O'Clock, which was a pretty, uh, the answer to your question, I think it's a pretty loyal cover, isn't it? So it's pretty, it's, it, the, it is. you know, it's in the spirit of the original uh, cover and uh, and and I and I think it's for all of the reasons that that we're touching on that if, if you're a sort of for want of a better phrase 
college preppy uh <laughs> yeah uh, college in- intellectual slightly intellectual arty you're going to pick up on something that is is uh not not stupid <laughs> it's not the ramones it's, yeah it's, uh, and is it is it true to say that um that they might be giants are xdc fans um, I know, so I have contradictory interview clips. I have a few clips where they say they are and where Flansburg, who wrote the song XDC vs. Animate, where he says he is. I have one clip where he says he's not. So it's really weird. I think when you do a lot of radio interviews, you just are tired and you just get sick of saying things. <laughs> I, I've, li- I've listened to your podcast uh, a, a little bit and, and most of your podcast seems to be saying, well, on the one hand, they said this, but on the other yeah. hand, they said that. So they do enjoy yeah. contradicting themselves, don't they? Yeah, I do have a clip. You know, in fact, I can I can even look up the quote <laughs> if you want. Let me see. XTC. I have a whole Excel sheet where I like log keywords to find out what they talked about. Don't give Mark ideas. So they talk a lot. Of, I have clips where they talk. <laughs> they talk about oranges and lemons. They talk. You know, he seems to be really aware of. Then okay, so then there's one time where he says he's into XTC. Okay, not a huge fan. He's more into Adam Ant. And then he says, style counts. You don't have to be that dignified or authentic. He enjoys adamant for what he does. So I have that clip, but then I have other clips where he's like, clearly the song is preferring XTC because I, he's like, I'm a huge fan of, you know, that kind of uh, innovation in the structure and the f- content of the lyrics. So I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to say. I'll, I'll come back to you, but maybe that's a perfect point to, to play the uh, a clip of Andy Partridge talking about They Might Be Giants. So let's, oh my God. Hear, let's hear what he has to say. Here he goes. What do you call that noise? What do you think about XTC versus Adamant? What do you think about Adamant? And what do you think of They Might Be Giants? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bugger. Um... And what do you think about con- the line in that song is content versus form. That's the idea, you know, and it, th- it suggests that idea of the sort of clever cleverness that has, you know, that, that, that phrase that's, that's been th- th- thrown at you in the past. Yeah, well, well, the British hate clever. And doubly hate clever, clever. <laughs> well, they really, they, they doubly hate clever, clever, but they hate clever. They, they hate intelligence. Um, the whole education system is, is put in place so you won't be too intelligent and your intelligence won't be farmed and grown. Uh, But that's another long, long topic of conversation. Um, What do I think of the song? I think I've heard it uh, twice, something like that. Um, It's okay. I mean, I don't, I don't play, I tend not to play music by our contemporaries in any way. I see every one of our contemporaries as competition that has to be stomped on (laughs) in the nicest possible way. Um, So I tend not to listen to them. And I find it difficult, probably for all the wrong reasons, I find it difficult to like our contemporaries. Um, So... I've heard it a couple of times and I, I thought it was a kind of nice concept of a song, you know. And possibly in some ways it is quite a, a heady sort of song, if you like. It's like a, sure, but everything, it is a concept. Everything they did was kind of heady. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if ever I met them personally, I'd, I'd have to talk to them about the similarities between Birdhouse in Your Soul and that Beach Boys song that I can't remember the name of. Oh, I've never made that connection in my head. There is a Beach Boys song it sounds ferociously like, but uh, I'm being a bit wicked here and, and bringing that up. 
but I, I heard that Beach Boys song for the first time about five years ago. I thought, why do I know this? Oh, it's a slower version of Birdhouse in Your Soul. Um, but I, I quite like They Might Be Giants, but I, I mustn't be too enthusiastic because they were still competition. Yeah. <laughs> they, might, they might win the competition if you're too yeah, enthusiastic. Yeah. You might concede defeat. I, I, in fact, I don't see anything in a lot of the bands that that you were supposed to like that were contemporaries of ours in 77, 78, 79, 80. I really don't see anything in the vast majority of those groups. I think they were poor, poor songwriters, poor players, uh, with a paucity of imagination as well. So I thought I thought you said poor settee then. I thought <laughs> well, I that as well. Poor settee and, and drossful sofas. <laughs> that was the problem with late late seventies bands. What kind of furniture I might like? <laughs> They had terrible couches in those days. <laughs> oh, dreadful. What do you call that noise? So that was Andy uh, talking about, uh, and I'm going to have to find out what that Beach Boys uh, song is. But um, Yeah. They obviously exist in a similar universe, but um, they've, kept, they've kept a distance from each other, maybe. I thought it was quite flattering that Andy called them contemporaries rather than just, I don't know, some not even in his orbit, you know, or his radar. I mean, I consider XTC like royalty, you know, and I consider the Giants kind of like, I don't know, the weird guys <laughs> kind of like who don't live in the castle, maybe like the jesters or something. But um, so I thought that was really flattering of, of him to call them contemporaries. And I related to everything he said about not being able to listen because I used to do open mics and I was, the only thing that would make me more mad than sitting through an open micer who I thought was terrible was sitting through an open micer who was great and that I was getting so jealous and, you know, stage fright and like, oh my God, I have to follow this person who's like winning over the audience. So I, I totally related to him saying that he can't even listen to They Might Be Giants, which I think is the biggest compliment in a way. Yeah, and there's certainly the thing that I, I've been aware of, oddly, because of, of 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 doing the limelight fanzine all those years ago, is that back in the day when people had tapes, they were, they would send me tapes about their you know of their their band, which had been influenced by XTC, and I would say 98% of the time I never liked listening to them because they were always trying to sound like the band that you already liked. You think, well, I can just listen to this band that I've got. And I know I've heard Andy say, um, or in fact, maybe it was Dave Gregory saying similar things, saying, well, I'm, al I'm, I'm already making this music. Why do I want to hear more of the same? Actually, what you want to go and hear is something that you can't do, you know, some avant jazz or something. You know, you, you would go in a different direction. So you don't want to hear what you already know. They Might Be Giants have said the same exact thing when fans give them albums and stuff. And as someone who is inspired by them and has a band, like I work, I really try to make it not sound like someone who's a fan of them <laughs> making music, except for maybe one or two moments, you know. But it, that's kind of actually my, it was like my fourth or fifth live show. And my friend, after the show, he gave me the biggest compliment where he said, This is the first show you've done where you can't tell you like They Might Be Giants. And I was like, <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear, you know, like that's, I, I don't, I've had a lot because of the podcast too. I've had people send me music. Like I've had fans of my show be like, check out my band. I'm hugely influenced by the giants and I'll listen to it and I'll really give it a listen. Like while I work and stuff and I'm like, wow, it sounds like someone trying to be, they might be giants. And it, it kind of, and, but the thing is like, I'm like, the songwriting's good. Maybe it, it's something, I don't know. Something is needs to break out some, you know, like there needs to be some sort of like a, escape from the they might be giants weight you know and then it would be great and you know it's, it's not easy 
you know. Yeah, and I think one of the things about um, taking inspiration from people is that the danger is that you 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 take the finished article, but you don't necessarily take the reason for that finished article being like that. So that, so I would like personally, this is going off on a tangent a bit, but personally, the music I would like probably has a similar starting point, but it doesn't necessarily have a similar ending point. So, so I, I, I like music that is exploratory, is 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 tuneful, is uh intelligent or there's, there's vague words you could use like but that doesn't that could end up sounding like the super furry animals it could end up sounding like squitty politty or it could end up sounding like dexy's midnight runners but it's none of those things would actually sound the same i've said the exact same thing and i've also said the same thing about there's been this wave of tv shows lately that are trying to be like classic movies like there's the fargo tv show there's the show that's trying to be Fight Club. There's a show that's trying to be David Lynch. And, you know, and I'm like, it's, it's some of the stuff in the shows are quite good. But I'm like, but you don't have the, you're coming, that's exactly what you said. Like you're, you're copying an end result of something, but you're not copying the initial motivation for, like your Fargo show might reliably give you some moments that remind you of the movie Fargo. <laughs> But it's not coming from that magical, mysterious place that inspired the movie Fargo. You like we can never understand almost, you know, what makes great art happen. Like we can try it ourselves, we can guess, you know, we could read interviews where we're like, oh, this is the inspiration, you know, I did backwards Duke's stuff. But the that that mysterious thing is is hard to 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 get. But then when you see a show or a, a song that clearly just rips off another artist, you're like, oh, I get it. They're just like are copying someone. It just doesn't excite me as much, even if it's, even if it has superficial qualities that are impressive, you know? We talked a bit, well, quite a lot about this in the first episode of what do you call that noise? The XCC podcast, when we were talking about Garden of Earthly Delights, the tribute album. And um, yeah, I listened and, to that. And, 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 and David, you've in, what do you call that noise? The book <laughs> you, you wrote about cover bands. Have you, have you do these comments um, resonate with you? Uh, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. That um, there's an authenticity that I, I mean, for as long as I can remember, that's been a big thing. Is is it? Are you really speaking, or <clears throat> are you showing where you're coming from, your roots? Are they, um, and that I would imagine somebody like um, they might be giants probably gets a lot of that kind of uh, criticism that. Because they are a kind of again the word parody is, it doesn't sum them up by any means, but it does come into their culture that they're not actually that they are merely viewers or observers of of culture rather than mm. growing their own. Um, and certainly in Britain, it, you know, since the late seventies, you know, the the NME would have you uh, roasted for not being <laughs> real, you know, keeping it not keeping mm -hmm. it real. Mm -hmm. um, and do they, do they get that all the time? I bet they do. Yeah, there's a lot of reviews of their albums that are like the clever, they quote, I'm doing quotation marks, the clever lyrics. And it just drives me crazy because I, I think, I, I, the thing is, it drives me crazy, but it's also like, I get it. It's, fa it's fair. It's not a, it's not one of those bizarre, like I've read reviews where I'm like, okay, that doesn't even sound like anything like the band at all. But I get where they're coming from. But the thing is, they're, the clever lyrics also have so much like, existential dread and sadness in them that it's to me there is like a deep quality to it's not just showing off how smart they are and there are songs like a song like i palindrome i it's like 
you know, one uh, critic of them can be like, oh, we get it. You're like English nerds. You're, you know, you're talking about palindromes. But like the song is about a guy, a person, a guy who kills his mom. And it's like the reason it's a palindrome is because the mom birthed the son and then the son killed the mom. It like went back and forth like a palindrome. So it's it's very clever. It's very intellectual, but it's also haunting. And that, that's what I think a lot of reviewers miss about them is their stuff is is scary and it's sad. And on top of being, and the cleverness only makes it, because the cleverness kind of obfuscate, obfuscates, I'm trying to say a word that I don't know how to say. Because, because the cleverness kind of hides the scariness, it makes it more scary. You know what I mean? Because it's not it's not like a metal band being like death and Satan in your face. It's kind of it's under a layer of distancing. And that to me makes it more haunting. So so Jordan, then you've um got plenty more to say about about XTC versus Adamant, and in particular, you know, maybe you could contextualize it in terms of Factory Showroom, which is the al- yeah. album that it comes from. What, what, and you've said earlier that it's an uneven album in in your opinion. Yeah. Um so well so here's the thing. Um XTC versus Adamant is often the only They Might Be Giants song that XTC fans will hear because it talks about XTC. <laughs> We're very shallow um, people, really. This is, yeah. Um, and, well, to be honest, you know, it, it got me curious about XTC when I was a They Might Be Giants fan. So it kind of works both ways, is that They Might Be Giants fans might check out XTC because of it. Um, though what actually got me into XTC was Andy Partridge's Hello EP, which uh, was put out by John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants in his CD of the Month Club, and that EP had Candy Mine, Prince of Orange, uh, some uh, My Round Guitar, you know, and uh, Snowing Angels. And that's the first XTC I ever heard, which is so rare a story, I feel. He but has I was a very blown interesting o- way in. Yeah, I was blown away by those four songs. Like, I listened to that CD over and over and over. Um, but anyway, so... XTC versus Animan is the only They Might Be Giants song a lot of XTC fans hear. And, and here's the problem with that for two reasons. It's absolutely not typical of They Might Be Giants, uh, both in the way it is and its quality. And it's also, in fact, it seems exactly like the kind of song XTC fans wouldn't like. <laughs> and I'll list the, the reasons. There's, it starts with a blazing guitar solo. <laughs> Uh, this is not common to They Might Be Giants albums uh, to have rock blazing, non-melodic guitar solos, you know, because normally They Might Be Giants guitar solos are very structured melodies, kind of like with, I'd say, a lot of, you know, XTC guitar solos. And, and curiously, um, sorry to interrupt, but curiously, that no, yeah. not, neither does it sound like Adam and the Ants or XTC, so it's, it doesn't yeah. sound like any of them. But do you think um, that was a deliberate choice? Well, 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 well. I, I think so. I think so because they, they might be giants. They I think they like to not be too obvious. There have been fans over the year. I remember on the old news group back in the 90s when the song came out, people were like, oh, the strings are kind of like an XTC song. And I'm just like, it's kind of a stretch, you know, like a string section. But that's so a string section. Most they might be giant songs do not have a string section. So that's kind of strange. The tempo is plotting and it's a long song and it's long for They Might Be Giants, which is it's almost four minutes. Most They Might Be Giants songs are very up-tempo and fun and are over very quick and easy to play for someone. This song is a plotting tempo that just kind of goes on. Uh, Lyrically, while clearly we have a lot to discuss uh, playing off the lyrics, I find it a bit slight compared to most of their other songs. Um, 
you know, they they have song. Like I said, it's it's a song where you kind of get the idea. And my favorite They Might Be Giant songs are ones where you don't get the idea because it's too complicated and, and interesting and confusing. So it's it's a weird um, it's a weird candidate for XTC fans to hear. What's ironic is the very next song on that album is my all time favorite They Might Be Giants song, and it's called Spiraling Shape, and it's like everything great about They Might Be Giants in one package. You know, and it follows that song, and and so many fan, XTC fans probably never made it that far, and it's 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 kind of sad in a way. I, I don't know if if John Flansburg, if he knew that this would happen, if he would change things. I will say I like the song. It's not that I dislike it, but it's so not a favorite song. You know, it it, it was pretty fun live when they were playing it because it's so like it's kind of hard, you know. Um, but it's just. It's it's I don't know if it's anyone's uh, any of they have Giants fans' favorite song, and that album is kind of like that, where there'll be an amazing song, and then kind of a song that's okay, and then an amazing you know it's really up and down, and they cut out about eight or nine songs from that album that are all fan favorites. It's kind of that's kind of what I was talking about before when I said they cut out songs that are too similar. Um, that song, like the songs cut out of that album, turned into a an, another album that's like so beloved by by everybody. So it's kind of weird. Um, I would also say my only other last point about this is, so for me, XTC lyrics are, I feel like they're, they're very clever, but for me, they're kind of hard on your sleeve. Like I feel like Andy Partridge is kind of like an open book, right? He's kind of a raw wound. He'll write about his marriage, his divorce, his, he'll write about really insecure feelings about, you know, all these things, even in early XTC, like paranoia and all that, you know, and and for me, the real content versus form is they might be giants versus XTC, <laughs> because for me they might be giants is like the intellectual you know XTC ish thing in that song, and for me XTC is kind of the hard on its sleeve like pure pop kind of you know thing. So I don't know if that's like an offensive thing to, to say, but I feel like it's a little closer to reality for me is that. XTC or like, cause I've tried to get, um, they might, uh, they might be Giants fans into XTC. And I, I give them a little warning where I say, oh, they're a lot more sincere than they might be Giants. Their songs are a little more about the joys in life <laughs> or about the sadness more than about being, um, intellectual or clever. So it's, I've always seen the two bands as in a similar way as XTC and Adamant. So it's kind of weird. So I'll leave it. I'll throw it to you now. I, I saw somebody on I saw somebody on Twitter this week saying something like, um, "Yeah, I, I think they were alluded. It was just a very small tweet, but it was uh, in, it, my my reading of it was in these days of lockdown, uh, she was getting a lot of nourishment from the emotional songs of XTC." And I did tweet back and say, "Which emotional songs do you mean?" Because because sometimes sometimes XTC uh, from from the outside you might not think of them as as as, as emotional, but actually there's a lot of emotion no, going I on. I find Andy to be like very confessional, you know, very like in ways that they might be giants would never like, I mean, never. <laughs> They're so adamant about our songs are not biographical. Our songs are not personal, even though they have songs that are clearly personal. Like they, they have a few breakup songs, you know, uh, songs about relationships. It's rare, but they're, they are, they exist. Um, and even sometimes Andy will hide behind, uh, a metaphor, and you know, in my, it, when I first heard some of those songs, I'd be thinking, "Oh, it's just about the metaphor. He's just playing a game." And then you discover, actually, no, the reason he was thinking of 
this is a bad example, but, you know, Statue of Liberty was inspired by his, his girlfriend holding up an iron, you know, and, and that looked like the Statue of Liberty. So, this, so it was rooted in a real place. And, you know, his... Or like an, another satellite. Another satellite. And, and his own grandfather worked on the farms for... for and, and so Love on the Farm Boy's Wages is not just a sort of pleasant song about, about farming. It's actually a real rooted song in, in somebody's personal history. Yeah, I've always I've always seen Colin and maybe Colin plays a little more games with like concepts and ideas, you know, like sacrificial bonfire. <laughs> it's like it like I feel like Colin's songs maybe are more like they're like weird little short film ideas and Andy's songs are more like from the gut and like I don't know, I, that could be totally wrong though. Um but yeah, I've I've always seen I've always had to warn people that XTC songs are are, I've even said like you might find some of them cheesy because there's if a they might giants fan is not used to songs some of them at least are not used to songs that are so nakedly emotional and like even just something like I'd like that or or you know Easter theater like something that's kind of full of joy there's no they might be giant song that's full of joy I, I can't think of one maybe maybe a few could be interpreted in that sense but I was interested in something you said right back at the very beginning of the of this podcast. Um, Mark and David and myself are middle-aged, crumbling old men who kind of came through XTC album by album and followed that path. So I'm curious to see how someone who discovered them in 1995 then addressed the back catalogue. I, I can tell you very specifically, so my first, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, there's the Hello EP which gave me a very <laughs> inaccurate view of what XTC songs were like. Because I honestly, I saw the Hello EP, which again is those Fuzzy Warble songs. I saw that as very They Might Be Giants-like. They're just like, oh, every song's a different genre. Candy Mine is, you know. I even had Andy Partridge and Colin sign it when I met them, and they were completely confused. Colin didn't know what it was. And Andy was like, oh my God, you have this? This is what you want signed? And I said like, oh, I love your Sammy Davis Jr. impressions. And he was like, oh, thank you. Like he knew what I meant. Because both Candy Mine and Sewing Angels have him going like, you know, Candy Mine, we got to dig into the, you know. <laughs> so I saw it as like, oh, XTC must be just like They Might Be Giants because they do fun. But that's not, their albums were actually a lot more, I, I don't know, I'd almost say serious and more... You know, like I said, sincere. So then I think Skylarking was my first. And I, I kind of hovered around the post-live stuff for a, a while, like maybe a few months or a year. Skylarking, Nonsuch, I know. My friend was enthusiastic to get me into Nonsuch, I remember. And I was like, okay, this is what they are. And then I bought white music. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> completely shocked. Like I was literally in shock. I didn't think it was the same band. Like I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, I checked out, you know, and then I saw, okay, so Drums and Wires and Black Sea and English Settlement are the bridge between the early punk stuff. And that, you know, it's like, it actually works perfectly as like a transition, gradual transition. You can... You can trace it very clearly. You know, it's not like all of a sudden they were, you know, though it kind of feels like that sometimes on Skylarking where it's like all of a sudden. But I just remember that shock of putting it in and hearing, especially like Crosswires. <laughs> like I just couldn't believe it. But I was also like, oh, this is awesome because I also love this kind of music. You know, I'm like, I was a young, I was like in high school. I was like, I wanted to listen to fun, fast music. So I, I couldn't believe it. And I also found it really inspiring because I was like, you can change that much in your life, you can change. I mean, it, the Beatles had a similar, you know, thing, maybe in a more even dense span of time, which kind of always, I, I can't even think about it because it's so crazy, you know, what, what happened with their progression. But like, 
I listened to a lot of bands that had somewhat of a progression and even they might be giants. I'd say like, they're kind of still doing their thing that they do, <laughs> you know, like they, they might be giants haven't changed that much, which I think is, I mean that in a nice way, like they're kind of reliable. They don't like, they're not like, here's our orchestral album. Like they don't, they don't do that, you know? I've just thought with well, there's one question that we, we should finish on, which is XTC versus Adamant. History will decide. Who was it? Was it XTC or was it Adamant? Does anybody want to make a casting vote? Or are we, are we not yet <laughs> in history? Mm, that's a deep idea. Um, I don't, I'm not familiar with Adamant stuff. I plan to be when I cover the song on my show. I'm going to have to listen to him all week. Or, or them. It's, it's a him, right? It's not the band. Well, it's Adam and the Ants. But, <laughs> it's Adam, but, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it's really Adam and Marco Peroni. Yeah, and they used to have, you know, two drummers and so on. So, yeah, um, you know, there was a definitely distinctive band sound, but yeah. Yeah, in fact, maybe some of you can help me, you know, send me some some stuff to listen to when I research that episode. So all I know is XTC, so I'm in, inclined to say XTC. You're biased, yeah. Well, I think there's yeah. quite a few of us are biased here, but... Um, mm-hmm. But actually, it's not. I suppose that's why, that's one reason why the, the song is is funny. Even the title is funny, is because it's not yeah. a competition, and it's possible to live in a world where Adamant exists yeah. and XTC exists, and that's still fine. Yeah, exactly. No, he's Flansburg has said about that song, like it, it, it's it's implied that XTC is is better, but the ultimate meaning of the song is that you could like whatever you like. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of tries to play both <laughs> play it both ways in my opinion but you know that's they that's they might be giant songs they 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 kind of contradict to themselves and they're they're weird you know <laughs> i was just going to say that if it is a competition between XTC and adamant i'll just say that adamant released an album about a year ago so if it's all over <laughs> he kind of he, he yeah. rips in at the end and gets the <laughs> it's good to be alive even if you're <laughs> just <Touché>. yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, Jordan, let's remind yes. ourselves where you can hear Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants, um, on your normal podcast provider, I presume, but anywhere you prefer people yeah, to hold up. It's, so it streams everywhere, iTunes, all that stuff, but the, the home base, you know, where I post the episodes, it's anchor.fm slash Don't Let's Start. Uh, we also have a Twitter at Don't Let's Pod. Uh, we just put out our latest episode, which I think uh, anyone would be interested in because it's really an interesting piece of music history. We interviewed the owner of this weird club that They Might Be Giants played at throughout all of the 80s. They were the house band there. And we interviewed the owner, and he's he just was like this leading guy in the performance art scene in the 80s. His name was Gary Ray. And we just put that out yesterday, and it's just a fascinating piece of history. And we play. he gave us lots of exclusive like vinyls and stuff from all these old bands that have disappeared, you know? And we play clips of it. It's, it was very interesting. So Sounds that's brilliant. going on. And yeah, and the, and the Twitter has lots of content and stuff. And, and I plan to really talk a lot about XTC when we get to this song and stuff. So that'll, that'll be a good crossover moment. We'll keep on listening. Uh, David White, Mark Reed, Jordan Cooper, and me, Mark Fisher, wishing you well uh, and safe in these strange times. And we'll be back with more What Do You Call That Noise, the XTC podcast, very, very shortly. What do you call that noise? Since we recorded this podcast, several more wonderful people have joined Mike Smith in going to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher to support What Do You Call That Noise, the XTC podcast in particular. The following Knights in Shining Karma, whose support qualifies them for a shout out. So a big, big thank you to Amy Parkinson, Dennis LaCourier, Leslie Gooch, Liz Lynch, Mark Reed, Michael Sutcliffe, Nigel Waller, Robert Graham, 
Simon Slatome. They're all fantastic. And of course, so are the Pink Things and the Humble Daisies who've also lent their invaluable support. Thank you very, very much for that. See you next time. What do you call that noise? Thank you so much for having me. Yes, Jordan. Was that a hard day's night we nearly got then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or this is pop, right? Because it doesn't you just Oh go yeah, like... it's very, very similar. Yeah, I can't play XTC songs are too hard. That's I did true. put up the chords for uh, Newtown Animal and someone corrected it within a few days. <laughs> so I was like, well, I tried. Oh, well.